0: My scripture lesson this morning is interesting. It's Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We're starting to talk about connecting this month because I realize that as we start moving indoors, people can start feeling disconnected. And so what we're going to talk about is how we connect to God and how we connect to one another. And in Acts chapter 5, we find one of the most interesting Stories of the New Testament that I never would have chosen to preach on this day, except that it got assigned to me through Asbury Seminary for the program that I'm in. And I decided that since I had to do it and prepare a message for, for my seminary work, I also was going to use the same text this morning. It is a text that you may or may not be familiar with. It's early in the life of the early church, and I'm going to read from a translation I never read from, but it's so that it is just very clear in what's being said. It's called The Message, Eugene Peterson's translation. That is also a paraphrase. So I'm going to be reading from Acts 5, verses 1 through 11. Please, if you do have scriptures, feel free to turn to them at this time also. We're told that a man named... Ananias, his wife Sapphira, conniving in this with him, sold a piece of land, secretly kept apart for the price for himself, and then brought the rest to the apostles and made an offering of it. Peter said, Ananias, how did Satan get hit to lie to the Holy Spirit and secretly keep back a part of the price of the field? Before you sold it, it was all yours, and after you sold it, the money was yours to do with as you wished. So what got you to pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to men, but to God. Do we hear what he did? He took the field, he came to church, and he said, this is a total amount that I got for this field. I'm offering the entire thing as a gift to the church, where, of course, it wasn't the entire thing. He would kept a portion of it. We don't know how much of it, but he kept back some of it from himself, and he literally just lied when he... Um, offered his offering that day. Here's where the story gets interesting. Ananias, when he heard these words, fell down dead. Whoa. As I said, this isn't necessarily a text I would have chosen for today, but it is a great text, and I want us to dig into it this morning. That put the fear of God into everyone who heard of it. Yeah, you think? The younger men ran right to work and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. No more than three hours later, his wife, knowing nothing of what had happened, came in. Peter said to her, "Tell me where. Tell me, were you given this price for the field?" Yes, she said, "That's the price." Peter responded. What's going on here that you connive to conspire against the spirit of the master? The men who buried your husband are at the door, and now you're next. No sooner had these words come out of his mouth than she fell down dead. That family did not have a very good day. When the young man returned, they found her body. They carried her out as well and buried her beside her husband. By this time, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard these things, had a healthy respect for God. They knew that God was not to be trifled with. Now, always when I hear this story told, I hear basically the same thing, which is this is about punishment in these people who are punished, and it's an interesting, all the sermons that I've heard over the years about punishment, but I want us to kind of dig into this text and see what we can discover from it. The first thing I would like to suggest is rather than just thinking of this as punishment, and we're going to try to look at that later in the text or in the message, look at it this way. When we compromise, we disconnect ourselves from God. Hear that? When we compromise, we disconnect ourselves from God. That's what sin is. Sin is a choice in our life where we know we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, And in doing it, we get disconnected. Same thing happens if we sin against another person. If we do something that is willful against another person or deceptive to someone, you can't deceive your spouse or your children or someone else, and then somehow feel connected to them. It literally pushes us away and others away. This is really the very simple meaning of our text. It's the idea that our moral lives matter. You hear that loud and clear? Our moral lives matter. It matters how we live. It matters how we treat people. It matters how honest we are. It matters whether or not we think we can deceive people. I love when I was a kid, we used to sing the Sunday school song, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a Savior up above who's looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. And we went through every part of that in Sunday school with our mouth, with our minds, with our hands. The whole idea was be careful because it's not that God's there to punish you. But when we make those choices, we separate ourselves. Look at a relationship that's gone bad. It's always because of things that are done, usually things that are done in secret that another person doesn't know about. And then there's this stuff between us and someone else. So the first thing that we see in this text is it really asks us that basic question, how do we live? How do we live out our faithful life to God? Because if we think that we're fooling God, we're not. God sees everything that we do. If we think somehow that we're getting away with things, we aren't. As one person said to me, Every compromise, we die just a little bit. Just die a little bit inside. That's why grace and forgiveness is so important, because we do make mistakes. We do do things wrong in our life, and we do need grace and forgiveness. But every time we do something, we die a little bit, whether it's towards another person or towards God. That's why the Apostle Paul talks about being dead in our trespasses and sin. That's the idea of separated. When the Scripture talks about death, The ultimate idea of death is not punishment, it's a separation. And think about that, when we go to a funeral, why is it a sad thing? There's a body lying there, but we feel separated from that person, because we just want things back the way they had been before. And then I suggest that we go deeper into this text. Because if that's all it is, if that's the only way to look at it, then we're kind of done with the story, okay? Ananias and Sapphira in this way in which they died completely remind us that when we morally make certain decisions or do things wrong, we die a bit. And of course, if we continue to live that way, we pretty soon would not have any relationships with people and we certainly would feel completely disconnected with God. The way that we often put it is when you feel disconnected with God, it's not God who's moved, it's you who's moved. Hear that loud and clear? When you and I feel disconnected from God, it's not God who's moved away from us. God does not separate himself from you. The Holy Spirit does not disconnect from you. But when it happens, it's us who disconnects. So the first way is we see that when we compromise, we disconnect ourselves from God. But the second thing I'm going to suggest out of the text is we connect to God out of love, not out of fear. Do You hear that loud and clear? God does not connect with you and me by terrifying us into a relationship with him. I go back to when this story was first introduced to me, and I was a little kid in Sunday school. You have to understand, I wasn't just in Sunday school, I was in middle school. So our poor Sunday school teacher had to teach this to a bunch of middle schoolers. Now, let me really get the setting here. We were in a small school in North Dakota. There were only 75 75 people in our entire church, but there were eight of us in our Sunday school class. So we comprised 10% of the church. We were also the largest Sunday school class that that church had maybe ever had, but certainly had in some time. And we were also, well, to put it mildly, an opinionated, difficult group of kids. And so there was our teacher trying to tell us a story how Ananias and Sapphira came to church, gave their money, didn't give the right amount, and they died. To which one of my friends spoke up and said, that's not fair. What do you mean, that's not fair? That's not fair. Just because somebody came and did something wrong, they shouldn't be struck dead right there on the spot. To which another one of my friends said, you know, I'm thinking about this. I took some money from my brother this last week, and I didn't tell him. And guess what? He got in trouble because he went to mom and dad, and he told them that he didn't have his money that he thought he had in his room. And they said, there you go, losing stuff again. And... I could have spoken up, but I didn't. Is God going to strike me dead? At which point, our Sunday school teacher was totally exasperated and tried to continue. We were having fun with the story she wasn't, and finally she turned to me and she said, Stanley, your dad is the pastor. Why don't you go h- ask him what this story means and have us talk about it next week? And we changed the subject. You see, it is tough if you can only look at this in terms of fear and punishment, isn't it? Because it's not. God asks us and invites us to serve and love him because he loves us. Our relationship with God is based on love. It's not based on fear. Fear maybe keeps people in unhealthy relationships. But let's be honest. How many people do you know have ever been kept in a healthy relationship because of fear? Do you know of anyone who's been kept in a healthy relationship because of fear? You can stand up and you can testify to it now. They aren't. We're kept in healthy relationships out of love. Now, the word fear does appear in our text, but it can also be translated, and that's why I liked what it said at the end of the story, healthy respect. Healthy respect is essential. That's different than fear. That's understanding that there's power somewhere. We certainly need to have a healthy respect for our relationships. The early church had a healthy respect for the church. They had a healthy respect for God. They had a healthy respect for one another. And it's important for us to do the same thing. If you are in a relationship with another person, have a healthy respect for that relationship because you don't want to lose it. You want to treat people kindly. You want to treat people graciously. You want to treat people honestly. But let's also have a healthy respect... For our relationship with God. And how do I know this story is not about fear and being afraid of God and keeping in a relationship with God? Because notice what verse 3 started out with two words. Peter said. If this was about God getting people for doing the wrong thing, nobody was more deserving of being gotten than Peter. Peter is sort of the the greatest of the Christians and the followers of Christ who found every conceivable way of sinning and doing the wrong thing. That's why we love Peter so much. We read his story over and over. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and and he's praying that last night and he asked his disciples, could you guys just stay away with stay awake with me for one hour? And there's Peter and the rest of the disciples. What did they do? They fall asleep. And then what does Peter do? He comes out and he gets mad. He takes a sword and he cuts off the soldier's ear. To which Jesus is like, come on. This is not about violence. And Jesus has to heal the guy who had his ear cut off. And remember earlier in that day, Jesus had said, one of you is going to deny me three times. And Peter said, well, that's certainly not going to be me. And who's the one who denies Jesus three times? Peter. The very one who said he wouldn't do it. So if this was about... God getting us because we do wrong, why would Peter be there? Peter's not just there. Peter is the leader of the church that day. He's the one who stands up in front of everybody and talks to everyone. Peter represents God's grace and God's forgiveness and that God restores us and God loves us. And so, as we tell this story, and we think of Ananias and Sapphira, they were part of a church that was growing. It was an amazingly healthy church. It was still just a baby, but it was growing. The church is less than a year old when this story takes place. But by the day of Pentecost, remember, there are already 3,000 people who were baptized who become part of the church. And then by Acts chapter 4, verse 4, there are 5,000 families who now are part of the church. The church has gotten so large so quickly with so much growth that they no longer are counting people, now they're counting families. And why did it grow? It didn't grow because people were afraid of God getting them. It grew out of love. In fact, one of the things that we learned that's just fascinating about the early church and where Ananias and Sapphira would have gathered that day, it was in people's homes. They didn't have buildings like this. They'd gather in people's homes. And do you know what it means that they gathered in people's homes? That meant that the people who were better off had to invite the people who were poorer into their home. Hear that? Poor people couldn't have people in their home. They couldn't have house churches because their houses were too small. The way that they had house churches is the people who had more means invited the people who had less means into their home. And so now all of a sudden this church starts growing and it starts growing out of people loving each other and caring about each other and building relationships across social bounds that never had happened before. So on the day that Ananias and Sapphira show up, not only is the church growing, but it's growing because people love each other and people are acting in a way that's very different than how society acts. And then when you read what's gone before this in the earlier chapters of Acts, you find out that there's a guy who's begging at the temple. And he's been begging there for years and years and years so much that he gets banished to the backside of the temple. Think of that. You get to stand in front of the church, but we've said, Yeah, you can stand in front of that door over there. So what do the disciples do? They go and they find him. And they pray with him and he's healed. And people just start saying, Wow, these Christians are different. They connect with each other out of love and out of grace and out of caring and out of being deeper in their faith. Officials get upset and they command these people to be quiet. We read about it again in in the book of Acts. It's not out of fear. It's out of love of God that they keep talking and they keep speaking the message of Christ. That's why the church grows. That's why Christ is attractive. Not because people are afraid and they read an Ananias and Sapphira story, which again, we're still going to come back, and I still think we're missing even the the part of the fear, but because of Peter and the way people are acting and the way people are loving. When I was a kid, I wasn't really a very religious person, but my dad served different churches, and I had an experience a number of times that we would go to one of these churches, and my dad would serve, because he never served one church. We were out in the prairies in the Dakotas, and my dad served three or four churches at a time. They were all small. And there was one church in particular, the Lydgerwood Church, that I just never wanted to go to, because I really didn't know anybody there. But because I was a pastor's son, I would get dragged every once in a while. And I remember the way that we would have church, and then afterwards would have food and the way the women of the Liguit Church always saved back something special for me. And were just always nice and kind to me and always reached out to me. So that when I got to college and I decided I wasn't gonna be a person of faith, I was just gonna live my own life. And all of a sudden I was starting to feel sort of isolated and having some trouble and, and wanting to know where I could connect because it's hard to connect when you're a college freshman in a new town. My mind said, go back and get connected with the church. And I went to church and came back to faith. When my son Todd was out of college and he was struggling out in Ohio and he called me on the phone and he said, I'm having a really hard time making friends. What did dad tell him? Go check out a local church and go find Campus Crusade for Christ. And he got connected because I knew that the church isn't about fear. The church is about relationships. It's about loving God and loving people and getting along with each other and supporting each other and becoming the community that God wants us to be. It's good not to lie and deceive God, but it's love and God's love that changes us. Do you hear that? It's good to hear that first point that when we compromise, we disconnect ourselves from God, but it's more important to hear that we connect to God out of love and not out of fear. It's because God loves you, for God so loved the world. One last thing I'd like to bring up about the text. When we compromise, we disconnect. We connect to God out of love and not fear. But today is what I believe the text is ultimately about. Today. The 24 hours we find ourselves in at this moment. Because today is our best opportunity to connect with God and others. Hear that? Today. How we live today matters. Today is a gift that we're given from God, not tomorrow. Yesterday's a memory. We don't know what we're going to have tomorrow. But today is our biggest gift that God's given to us. And we have this 24 hours this moment that we're living in right now to love God and to love people, to do everything that we can to live the best life we can. Ananias and Sapphira's sin was they gave up the opportunity to be honest with God and honest with others. They were deceptive the day that they came into that church and What really happened is in that last day that they were alive, they didn't know that was going to happen. They didn't know it was the last day they were going to live. Rather than using their last 24 hours to love God and love people, they got greedy and only thought about themselves and tried to think, how can I do something for myself? Ananias and Sapphira really are no different than we are. And that's what I'd ultimately like to suggest out of the text. How many times do we put something off till tomorrow thinking that we can do it tomorrow? I have a relationship I need to heal, but you know, I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'd like to get more connected with my faith, and I'd like to read the Bible more and pray more. But I'll do that tomorrow. I have some things, and in my personal life, I need to deal with, and I really need to do better with. But no, I'll I'll take care of that tomorrow. I've got other things to do today. I have a phone call I need to make. I really do. I really need to reconnect with this person. But that's okay. I'll I'll deal with it tomorrow. You see, that's what Ananias and Sapphira lost that day. They lost an opportunity just to be honest and loving. Because no matter what, they could not possibly have felt connected to God and other people if they're walking into church and being deceptive on how they're giving money. That does not bring anybody together or make anybody feel joy filled. Maybe no matter what, this was the last day that they were going to live. We have no idea. Maybe they both had heart problems. We don't know. Maybe one of them had a brain aneurysm. Did you know on a Christmas morning, I got a phone call years ago from a husband whose wife was in her early 30s, who so she had a brain aneurysm and she almost died that Christmas morning. Man, you think that got everybody's attention? Now, she didn't think God was punishing her. Thank God she lived and she made it through that. But you know what she told me? She never felt like God was punishing her. She just felt like she had learned the value of every single day. From that moment on in her life, she said, I know how important today is because today is a gift. We've had people who we think are perfectly healthy. They don't know it's their last day to be alive. I don't mean to be morbid, but we do not know what tomorrow brings to any one of us. And what Ananias and Sapphira remind us of is how do we live today? How do we live at this moment? Now, it got me also thinking, you know, it's sort of odd. People will say, well, these two people did die on the same day. That's kind of weird isn't it?" Pastor Stan, but both a husband and a wife died on the same day. Did you know that that happened in that same little church that I like to talk about that I grew up in? The couple's name were the Littles. The wife died, and later in the day, the husband died. It was the only double funeral I've ever been to in my life. It was a double funeral. We had two caskets. My dad did the service, and I talked to my mom, and I said, this is kind of weird. And she said, you know, I think they would have been really happy to know that neither one of them had to live a day without the other because the littles really loved each other. So she put a positive way of looking at it. Nobody saw that as punishment. My aunt died this last week on Monday. Nobody saw her death as punishment. She was an elderly woman. She was 95 years old. She'd lived a good life. I'm sad that she died as the last person in my mom and dad's generation who's passed away. not punishment, it's just the end of life. Because remember, we believe not only in life, but also in life everlasting. So we don't know, maybe this was just the day that Ananias and Sapphira were going to die. And how did they use that last 24 hours? None of us know if this is the last 24 hours. How do good old Ananias and Sapphira use their last 24 hours? Deceiving people. Is that the best we can say about ourselves? If we see today as a gift, we start living the way we want to live today. We don't put it off till tomorrow. We don't wait till next week to make the changes. We do it today. And when we do it today, those changes take place. It also got me thinking of another time politically. It's only worthwhile talking about this today because we're about to go into an election. But on July 4th, 1826, John Adams was just about to pass away. And he was laying on his bed not far from here. And realizing that it was his last day to be alive, his last words were Thomas Jefferson still survives. But five hours earlier, Thomas Jefferson had died in Monticello. And that day, John Adams died kind of like Ananias and Sapphira, or like the Littles. Two people died on the same day. But here's the secret with John Adams and Thomas Jefferson. They were friends and then they became political rivals because John Adams had become president and Thomas Jefferson had defeated him. You think that makes for a good friendship? The two of them pretty much hated each other until they left office and they started writing letters to each other and they rekindled the friendship. I have a book at home of the letters of Adams and Jefferson. It's a nice, big, thick book with all the letters they wrote back and forth. And they learned to value every single day and they learned to become friends again. They learned to forgive each other. They learned to love each other. They learned to accept grace to each other. They learned the value of how they lived every single day so that by the time July 4th, 1826, comes around, that's both of their last days alive. They were living how we should all live connecting to God, connecting to each other, extending grace, extending love, and living the way we should live. We're about to enter a month, or we have entered a month, and we're going to talk about connecting. Connecting to God and connecting to one another. I started with Ananias and Sapphira, not because they were punished. They, I, I don't like to read the story as punishment, I like to read the story as a reminder that none of us has guarantees other than the biggest gift of all, which is a guarantee. We are right here now. We are alive. We can love God. We can serve people. We can do all the things that we need to do. It's a gift that's given to us today. And when we live that way, we connect to God and we connect with others. And we will live not only today, But we will discover that every 24 hours, we will start living completely the way that we want to live, and it completely transforms who we are. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of Ananias and Sapphira, a story that reminds us to know that when we compromise, we do disconnect. But when we connect, we connect out of love, not out of fear. And today is our best opportunity to connect to you and to others. Today is our best shot, our best opportunity to forgive, to make a right decision, to love another person, to extend grace, to offer forgiveness, to ask for forgiveness. To take our own inventory and say, what changes do I need to make? Help us not miss that. And as we spend a month talking about connecting, connecting to you and connecting to one another, help us to take it seriously. Thanksgiving is a time in which we talk about being thankful. Well, the reason we are thankful is because you love us, and we thank you for that. And you did everything you could to connect with us. You gave us your Son, who died on the cross to be our Savior. Help us now live the way you invite us to live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.